Good morning. So good to see our, my faith family this morning to come together and worship. Sometimes I think about what that'll be like when we get to heaven and we worship. I was reading in Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, and he was interviewing people and reading books as he was researching. And one of the guys he talked to said uh, he really was actually a pastor of a church. And uh, the pastor was just being honest, and he said he wasn't really looking that forward to heaven, which was shocking, right? And the reason was is because the, this man imagined it to be one long church service. So I thought, wow, you never know exactly what someone's getting out of a church service, you know. I'm not sure exactly, I don't think it's going to be one long church service in the context that maybe formally we think about, but it will be a context in which we get together as uh, brothers and sisters with a common bond in faith and trusting and believing in Lord Jesus Christ and enjoying Him. And especially when we get to heaven, you know, you, the Bible says you put off corruption and you put off mortality. So we're going to be incorruptible and immortal and as God planned it from the very beginning. So that's exciting to me. And I think it makes worshiping together an exciting thing. Matthew was talking about membership a while ago, and I, I just, my mind immediately goes back to when uh, Cindy and I first came to ECC Off Island. And uh, it was actually before Matthew and Bonnie came. We had, didn't have a car yet, so we had to catch a cab. And we came all the way out here, and we thought right away, this is where we wanted to serve God. We wanted to join and uh, be a part of the work God was doing here in this church. And I've seen it grow, and I've seen people grow and worship together, and it's been amazing. Um, I uh, was asked to lead the mission team, and um, I thought, sure, I, I really like missions. I don't know if that was enough of a prerequisite to lead a mission team, so we seemed like we were learning together. I think I've introduced the mission team to you before, but it's uh, currently serving on the mission team is Sam and Kirsten and David uh, and Judith and Rebecca and uh, Cindy and myself. And uh, if you feel like there's an interest in, in your heart to serve in that capacity, See one of us, and we'll talk with you and let you know a little bit about what we're doing. If you are thinking about, you know, membership in, in this church, I would just encourage you or let you know that I'll be praying for you as you think about that decision. It's, it's very it's important to be a member of a, of a local faith family, and uh, the dividends are enormous. The support that you get through prayer and love, the opportunity to serve, and just be united with other Christians is, is essential. So I would encourage you to pray and seek God's will in your life when it comes to that. But it also occurred to me, I thought, I wonder what would happen uh, to church membership and church growth if we said one of the prerequisites that you need to be a member of uh, ECC Off Island is that as you submit to membership, you have to equally understand you are submitting yourself as a full-time, on-the-field missionary. 
And I just wonder if we made that statement, how many people would like, wait a second, let me, I'm not sure about that. What I want to do is take the opportunity this morning, and I've been thinking about this a long time, uh, since Matthew gave me this opportunity to preach today about preaching on missions. Um, Try not to fall asleep yet, because I think it's going to be different than you've heard before. Um. in a good way. Um, what, is it, what does it mean to be on mission? And I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, what passage of Scripture in the Bible? Should I go Old Testament, New Testament? There's so many things, you can, areas you can go where missions is a subject in the Bible. And um, I'm not really sure of the steps that led me to the book of James, but that's where I found myself studying and reading and and thinking about missions, and I thought, here's a man that is mission-minded, 100%, and and an enormous burden in the heart of the writer here, James, to impart that to his brothers and sisters in the faith, and to encourage them in that. So let me read this text in James chapter 1, uh, verse 19 through 27. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. One of the tasks, I think, is that we felt impressed most about in, on the mission team, and as we talked with, uh, as I talked initially with the church elders, was the task of, of um, growing in our church, our faith family, uh, a, a heart for missions. Um, and what does that mean? To, to bring about a spirit of being on mission, to be a church that is very mission-minded. And uh, at first this seemed kind of daunting. And usually what, that, what happens in, in a, a believer's heart when you're up against something that seems bigger than you are is you just begin to pray because there's no way. I mean, that's what I thought. There's just, how, how do you do this? And um, begin to pray. And one of the things that I was impressed with 
and it, it, it took time. You know, God just kind of revealed this and showed me over a period of time. But one of the things I was very impressed with that I felt God was showing me was that he's already been at work. The Spirit of God has already been at work in this place, working about in the hearts of the believers that unite here for worship a sense of missions, a, a, a heart and a mind bent towards missions. God was already accomplishing that which we were hoping to do because there are so many people. It's hard to find people that are a member of this church that are, are not already fully engaged in something, in some work. And I thought to myself, what a, a joy. So as I look into this passage of Scripture, we begin to unpack what James is telling us here. I, I give it to you as a word of encouragement. Uh, as God has called you into some mission, and as you work and you serve, that you are encouraged and that you don't get discouraged thinking this is so hard and does anybody know I'm doing this and, and it's just I'm tired and I want to pass the reins to someone else. And, you know, sometimes we get those kinds of feelings about serving God and working. Before any of that, I just want to encourage you to keep on in the work God is calling you to do. And if he is putting something in your heart and in, in, in your you just have a, a desire to serve, then talk to somebody. But don't, don't let it go. You want to be on mission. Um, I also want to, as we consider this passage of Scripture, I want us to be mindful of, perhaps we haven't always thought about missions in the right way. And maybe uh, correct our course a bit if that's necessary. I was reminded as I was thinking about this about in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. There is a work to do, and God has called us on missions to do this work. So here in these verses, James is reminding his readers of the necessity of being on mission. And you think, well, we just read this text, and nowhere in the text did we read about missions or a missionary. Didn't see that word, but we did read where James talks about being a doer and not a hearer only. And so when I studied this text and I read this and I prayed over it, I realized that being a doer of the word of God is being a missionary. And nobody is exempt from this if you're a child of God. There is no exemption here. And James comes out with this intensity in his message that he writes to the church that has been dispersed throughout the Mediterranean world. C.S. Lewis makes a statement, very provoking statement, as most of his usually are, but very, very biblically sound. He says, Christianity is a statement which, if it is false, it's of no importance. Think about that for a second. Think about what you believe as a Christian and how it affects your life and, and your decisions and how you, how you understand your purpose and how you treat your family and raise your children and so on. If Christianity is a statement that is false, it's of no importance. And if it's true, Lewis says it's of infinite importance. But the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Your faith, your Christianity, your belief in God cannot be moderately important. It has to be consuming. Of, of all of who you are, 
You know, we read in scriptures and I, numerous warnings, similar to what James says. He has warnings here. He gives and, and, and he tries to steer his brothers and sisters in the right direction when it comes to understanding faith and what faith and what works are, what being a hearer is and what being a doer is, to make sure people understand this correctly. And there's, the Bible's full of numerous warnings, and these came to my mind in Colossians 2.6. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He's reminding, Paul was reminding the church at Colossae, as you have received Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk in him. So it kind of provokes our heart and our mind to think, you know, how, how have we received Christ? How do we understand ourselves as the one who has submitted ourselves to Christ and yielded ourselves? We've taken up our cross and we follow him and we're willing to die with him on the cross. Accepting him as our Lord and Savior, the forgiver of our sins. The one who has mercy and grace to, and shows mercy and grace to us. That pours out his love into our lives. Ephesians chapter 4.20 But that is not the way you learned Christ. Paul was admonishing those in Ephesians and from the church of Ephesus. That's not the way you learn Christ. There was some error in the ranks. There's some mis- misthinking in the ranks of the church. He said, that's not the way you were taught about Christ. So it's like we have to read our Bibles and we, and we have to look at what Christ is saying and what Jesus is teaching and we have to embrace it. I find myself often going back to the Gospels just for clarification. You know, you hear... You read in books, you hear messages or sermons, you read this, you read that, you hear, you listen to other people and their faith, and you have all this data coming into yourself, into your heart and your mind, and sometimes you're like, wait a minute, I'm getting confused signals here. And so you go back to the Bible, you go back to the, to the gospel and say, well, how did Christ live his life? How was he living, setting an example for us to be on missions? So it's like, I can get, my, get corrected here, I can get a course correction by looking at the gospels. Finally, the, in another verse in, um, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, it says, Finally, brothers, we're, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you may do so more and more. So it's like you're in a good place. And he says, I want you to grow. I want you to do so more and more in your walk and your service to the Lord. Why are these things important like this? And the Bible is just full of them. Those are just three that come to my mind. The Bible is page after page, Old Testament and New Testament. Because the enemy doesn't want us serving God. That's clear. The enemy, the, enemy, the devil, the Satan wants us to embrace the world and all that it offers and get the most out of it that you possibly can. That's, one, that's just completely opposite of what the Christian faith teaches. And because that's so prevalent in our world and so powerful in our world, it's the chances of being misdirected or, or taking scriptures and making a, 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 the wrong application or misinterpreting it is very powerful and very possible. I'm not really sure how this fits here. Well, I do, but I just don't know how it's going to come across to you. I was just thinking about sometimes how easy it is to embrace uh, an idea or, or a scripture and, and not be entirely right about it. You know the verse in scripture where, and you hear this often, I, 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 people re- misquote it all the time. And um, 99.9% of the time that I hear it quoted is quoted out of context. 
which means that you and I have quoted it out of context a lot. Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. Right? People use this verse a lot. It's a good verse. Two or three people together. There's two or three of us here. God's in our midst. We can worship. We can do this. We can do this. And, you know, I have a problem with that verse if that's what it means. I have a problem with it. I thought, what if I just have one? Or, or, you know, what if it's just me? Is that like... Maybe God's not with me as much as he would be with me if there were two of us or three of us. That verse is, that verse is in the scriptures, just like I read it, but it's the context of it the, the, in the scriptures is about church discipline. If the church is going to discipline someone in the, in the ranks of brother or sister that's gone astray, let there be two or three people gathered together to think it through and do a good job and understand it right and be tender and merciful and kind. Let two or three people, God's going to be there and help you make this decision. It's about church discipline, but it's misapplied so much of the time. Another verse of scripture that I think is often misapplied, just for an example, is, um, and I've done this for a long time, you know, you talk about, I like to get with people and talk about the kingdom of heaven. My wife says I'm talking about it so much these days. She she says, you know, what's going on? You know, I'm just kidding. Getting, I don't. I feel like God's gonna keep me here for at least another thirty minutes, maybe. Um, I just, you know, I just, I'm just interested in it, you know. So I've been reading and studying heaven, and but I remember a verse that I used to quote often, you know, because you just don't, you know, we don't know much about heaven, do we? I mean, what do we know about heaven? You know, we got a little bit of scripture here and there, and you know, and I, there's this one verse that says, um, "But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him." It's like, wow. At least we can say, well, it's never even entered into our hearts and our minds and our imaginations, so whatever God's planning must be great and wonderful, and you can get excited about going to heaven, not really knowing what's gonna be, what it's going to be like. So, you know, that was, I used to quote that verse all the time, you know, and, and um, ignore the second verse. That's not true. That verse is not true. That's true to lost people. They can't even imagine. They can't know. They can't. They have no idea. But for believers, it says, as it in the following verse, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And they have been revealed to us. So when we read something, sometimes uh, my point to make is that we want to embrace this, but we want to make sure, do we understand what God is saying about this? Are we getting the urgency? When James talks about being a hearer and a doer, are we receiving the urgency of this, or do we just kind of take it in and, and actually do the thing that he's warning against and just be a hearer only, but there's nothing for us to move on here, nothing for us to act on, so we just kind of hear it and give an affirmation or a little amen or a nod of the head or a Smile, I like, think I like that. It's really good. I, I read that in my Bible too. But then that's as far as it goes. So this is the warning that the, the excuse me that James has. I think this is a primary tactical strategy of the enemy, of Satan. Uh, to limit the power of believers, to limit the effectiveness of the ministry that the children of God can have. To, uh, finally, to mince Christianity to, to one of the world's many vain philosophies. To where there is really no effective power in the Word of God. Because the way it's received, nothing happens with it. We don't do anything with it. If our life just doesn't march along in order as we expected, we just, we just, ah, we don't like it. It's not happening the way I want it to happen. It's not going the way I want it to happen. Can you see the Apostle Paul 
thing. You know, Lord, every time I get a little momentum going, you stop me. I got stoned in Lystra. I got thrown in jail uh, in Philippi. Now I'm I'm in Rome, and just every time I get my feet on the ground and I got somebody helping me, this happens. Never. Never. Why? Because Paul looked at that and embraced his circumstances because this is what God is doing in his life. And God needs him there. I always think this, every time I think about these verses, where I think about Paul being in the Philippian jail, and um, I think, wow, I know the Philippian jailer was so glad that this man got thrown in prison. And I know the wife of the jailer and the children of the jailer, his family, they all came to know the Lord as their Savior, but they're pretty glad that he did. Think about that. Sometimes when you're in a position or in a strange set of circumstances are occurring, there's a reason behind it. Are you a child of God? He has a reason. He doesn't plan nothingness for your life. He has events for your life. He puts you where he needs you and uses you where he wants to use you. But this is kind of a large topic. Think about moderation. People receiving the scripture and just receiving it in a moderate kind of way, not really not really filled with and not really impassioned with God's word. And so I need to narrow that down because we could talk about it a long time. But what I want to narrow it down to is for us to understand what does it mean to be a missionary? What does it mean to be on missions? What does it mean to support missions? And so let's look at these passages of scriptures, or this passage of scripture in James. I remember my earliest, my earliest impression of the subject on missions, my earliest, like the week after I remember accepting Christ as my Savior, and I was about 16 years old. We had a Whitcliffe, not a Whitcliffe, a New Tribes missionary come to our little non-denominational, just a non-denominational community church in a little farming town in Kansas in the middle of nowhere. And we had this New Tribes missionary come in there, and he was sharing his work what God had called him to do. I was fascinated. He talked about being in the jungles of Amazon, of the Amazon in Brazil. Wow, I'm a venturous person, and that just sounded amazing to me. I was like, where can I sign up? He talked about eating monkeys and stuff, and it was like, cool, you know? I just thought, this is what I'd like to do. That was my, you know, and, and of course he shared about sharing the gospel and stuff, but I think maybe I just heard the adventure part, canoeing and, and the piranha, you had to be careful with and all this kind of stuff, and I thought, you know, I wanted to do this. But that was my earliest impressions, and I think it carried on. I think a lot of people think of being on mission as being, you know, this full-time missionary paid by a church, paid by a convention or organization. You go out to another country and you do missions. At first, I thought it wasn't a mission if you weren't in a jungle. For a long time, I thought, you know, I, I mean, even my, my home church in the U.S., we had some, we had all kinds of mission uh, opportunities going on in our church. Some of us went to China, and was, it was rugged, you know. It was rugged and intense and joyful and everything. And then I had to stop myself because by this time in my life, I knew what missions was, and I knew what it was all about. I knew that there were people, when I was in the mountains of China, I knew that there were people in my home church 
praying for us. We had an itinerary, we had a list, and we had people praying around the clock while we were on the field. That's them being on mission and us being on mission. So we never felt like it was all alone. But I had to stop myself because we also had a mission team going to Hungary. Budapest, Hungary. Like, really? That's a mission? You can get ice cream on any corner. You can go to McDonald's. You know, that's on missions, you know? And, uh, but I stopped myself because they were doing an amazing work there, and we prayed for them every day. We had someone scheduled to be on prayer for them. And um, the church gathered together. and we sent, One time our church sent, and smaller than this, smaller than this church, sent 22 people to China and raised the funds for everybody to go and for all the flights and for all the effort because the church wanted them to be on mission. The church wanted to be on mission, not just to send these, but they wanted to go. They wanted to go vicariously through someone else if they couldn't actually go physically. But the whole church was involved in this, and this is what I think we're going to find in the book of James. I can remember all these messages I've heard on missions, and they all seem to end up the same way. Some pastor would have, or a mission, uh, missionary would come in and share, or a pastor would share on missions, and it would wind down to the end of the service, and there would be this altar call. And everybody would come to the front, and he would, the pastor would say, listen, if you feel like God is calling you into full-time missions, come to the front, let someone know about it, let us pray about it, and help you with, with the next step. And there would always be like two or three people that would work their way down to the front because they, were on, being, they felt in their heart that God was calling them to full-time missions. What I think is true, and what I see as missions now, is that God doesn't call just two or three people to be on missions. He calls all of his children. Everybody. Everybody who's a member of a church, everybody who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, as their Master. He's called you to be on missions. There is no exceptions. Everyone is called. So sometimes there's just a little wrong idea about missions. Well, you know, that pastor, in defense of that pastor, he's probably just, he's just calling those people who are going to, like, you know, go around the country, gather up support for two or three years, and then go out to the field and serve full No. No, no. Everybody is called to be on missions. Everybody is called to have their feet on the ground. Everybody is called to serve the Lord in this capacity. Everybody, you and me, all of us. We in Abu Dhabi just have to, we just happen to be in a really good place for that. We just, we, we're working here. We're all tent makers. Did you know that? If you have a job, you're a tent maker. You, I have talked to so many of you, and I thought, you know, Cindy and I first came here, and we were tent makers, but we didn't say a lot about it. Was, you know, I didn't know, and I talked to people, and I find out, you know, you're here for the same reason I am. It isn't about the job. It's about what can, how can God use me to share the gospel? Maybe some of you came here because it was about the job, and then you got hooked up to this church, and you go, wow. Now I, I see why I'm here. I see why now God has me here and why he's brought me here. So if people are going to check that sound out. I don't think it's okay. So my desire is that we get some conviction as we read and unpack this passage in James. Uh, and a conviction, what I'm talking about is not so much that, you know, everybody's doing everything wrong and we're going to hear it right and we're going to get, no, conviction has more about the, the context of being convinced perhaps of an error in your thinking, small or great, whatever it happens to be, but compelled to admit the truth or, or being compelled, coming under conviction is being compelled to embrace the truth that God sets before us in his word. 
So, let's look at these passages of Scripture quickly. Just three points that I want to, or three sections that I've divided this out and, and want to kind of focus on. 19 through 21 in James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. That word brothers is siblings. My brothers and sisters. James has a very strong heart connection as he writes this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness rampant and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In these three verses, it's really establishing the character of a believer, the character of someone who will be on missions. Careful how you hear. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. James is addressing this as a matter of urgency. And so under great alarm, he declares what is true faith. And he does so with tenderness. He does so with compassion and love. He gives the warning. And perhaps it's against the trends of his own day. I, I'm not sure exactly. I don't want to really focus too much on that. But he's definitely up against something. If you just jumped ahead to chapter 2, verse number 18... James says, some will say to you, some will say, you have faith. And others will say, I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works, which James feels like it's going to be really hard for them to do. And he says, I will show you my faith by my works, by what I am sold out to do, to be on mission with my Lord. Be quick to hear. This is in the context of receiving the word of God. Sometimes we go to church and we just think, you know, we've got it all already. You know, not everybody does that. Some people maybe like me, you know. I remember being in theology class my first year, in my first semester in theology class. It was amazing how many people. I really was a, a, a new believer in those days, so I was like, you know, I didn't really have too much going for myself at the time. But I was always amazed that these people were first-year theology students, and they, I thought, why are they in this class? They like, already know everything. I mean, they, just, they got it down. And um, it's not, it's not, James is saying, be, be a good listener. Be quick to listen. That means put your, your heart in a, in a context to hear the word of God and say, what is God saying to me? Not what does culture say. What does the trends of today say? What does the church at large say? But no, what does God say to me? So be a good listener, slow to speak. Well, that's important. You know, have you ever get, been in a conversation where you're trying to share something with someone and you feel like, you know what, they're, they're not really listening to you. You ever felt like that? They're really listening for, a, for a, a gap in the conversation so they can jump in and, and say what they got to say. And they're just not listening. I think sometimes we all get like that. You know, and James would say, be a good listener. You have to be a good listener. Slow to speak. Think it through. Try to understand what God's word is saying. Meditate on it. Think on it. Spend some time on it. That's the idea of being slow to speak. Don't speak until you're ready. Don't speak until you understand what you're speaking of or you're talking about. And he says, slow to anger. How does this fit? And remember, this is, this is the context of the character of a believer who will be on mission for God. Slow to anger. If you take, if you think in your mind to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit, 
I can say them most of the time, but now I'm standing up here, I probably can't. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I missed one, but you have these fruits of the Spirit. This is stuff that the Spirit grows and works in your life. It's the evidence. It's the fruit of, of the change that's happening in your life. And James is saying, if you're not slow, to, if, you're, if you're an angry person, it works against the righteousness of God that is working in you. People don't see a, a gentle spirit about you. You're going to render ineffective your hopes and desires to be on mission for God. So he sets the stage. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Receive with meekness. Receive with meekness. Let's look at that verse. Put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness. That's a teachable spirit is what that means. Receive with a teachable spirit the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Okay? So James says, this has to be together about you. Be in this heart and this mind and this, and this, and this spirit so that you can be on mission. Next point, being on mission. What does it mean? What does James say being on mission is like in verses 22 through 25? They are not simply asked to listen or be hearers, but James says you cannot just do, but you have to be a doer. Living the life of a Christian, all too often, you know, there's a distinction that James is trying to build here, the difference between having like uh, maybe a checkoff list, you know, if you're like me, sometimes it's just nice to have a checkoff list. Sometimes I, I um, do something and, go, and I didn't have it on my list, I go put it on my list just so I can know I got something accomplished, you know. So we fall prey to that sometimes in the wrong way. But, but some people see what they do as a checkoff list, they check things off. And that's different than being... Uh, having a to-do list and being a doer, and, and maybe I can make this distinction because I think this is what I find happening. I've been convicted about this myself. What do people do with a checkoff list? I've seen this in every context of legalism, whether it's in the Christian faith or other faiths. You have a checkoff list. You get things done. You get it out of the way. Why? You want to get this thing done? You want to get this thing done? I feel good about I had my devotion time. I feel good about I had a good time of prayer. I feel good about I made this visit. I've done this and this and this and this. And then what? Why? So then people can say, I'm done. I've completed my list. I'm finished. And now I can what? Pull off and do the things I'm really passionate about. Do people think that way? Yeah. I've got to get these done so I can feel right about doing this. James is talking about a doer in, this, in a completely different context. He says being a doer characterizes who you are. You are never done. Doers are never done. You don't have checkoff lists. You're engaged in serving God in every context that he puts you. Say, well, that can be kind of exhausting, couldn't it? I don't know. It can be really full of a lot of joy. You know, we have, we're human nature. We fight things. I remember this week was uh, no teaching this week. I didn't even have any plans. My wife and I are afraid sometimes to make plans because things just keep piling in there. Next thing you know, your, your schedule's blown out. And, 
and I had told Kosh if I said, I want to go with you, I want to go with you, I want to go with you to these camps, and you know, I'm trying to tell the church and share with the church to, to be on partner with FAM and what you guys do, and, 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 and there's been a remarkable response in our church and our faith family and doing compassion kits and different people going out, but I hadn't gone out yet. Oh, I was so tired this one afternoon, and then uh, Kosh had called me. And I wasn't planning on going this day. I was actually planning on going last night, which would have been really good that I didn't, I think. And um, I was tired. I was like, gosh, can I find some reason not to go? I would like to find a reason not to go. I didn't find a reason. I went. I have never been more blessed than when I went with him. It was a complete joy to me to be there, to see what he does. I had heard it. I had seen it. I mean, uh, uh, talked to people about it, and, and, but I never got a chance to go myself. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is great. And, and now I feel like I can talk to some other guys and say, you know what, you need to go with Brent or Kashif and, and be a part of this and do what you can and, be, and just enjoy what it is like. I sat there and, and shared a word with guys who didn't speak my language. I didn't speak their language, but I told them, and Kashif was an interpreter, and I said, you know what, guys? When we're in heaven, we're going to look each other up. We're going to get together. And we'll have time for that, by the way, because heaven's a long time. I said, and we're, we're going to talk the same language. It's going to be amazing. We're going to get to talk the same language. And we'll be able to sing and worship together in the same language and be brothers and understanding, know each other. It was going to be amazing. Their faces just lit up. And they were, they were just, you know, they wanted all their pictures taken with me, and I thought, you know, I want my picture taken with you. I don't want you, you know. Just, these guys were amazing. We do get tired in the, in, in the work. We get tired with the duties, and some of you have taken on some enormous tasks with, through children's ministry, through all the different ministry teams in the church, and, and some of you are engaged in ministries and, and serving God in your workplace and places that nobody else knows about but you. Isn't that fun? Isn't that amazing what God can do and, and direct you? James establishes the fact that you have to be a doer. It doesn't make sense to be a hearer only. It's, it's not about that. It can't be separated. And James was seeing this happen in his own day. He was worried about this. He saw it happening. He said, wait, wait, we can't do it this way. We have, to be, we have to hear the word of God and we have to be doers. And I'm guessing my time is like getting away from me, you know. I thought if I printed all this out and make it faster, it just didn't happen. But that's Okay. The last part, verses 26 through 27, and it really links itself back to the first verses where James is talking about the character and you're having your heart in a good place and being in fellowship with God and being on mission with him. So he begins to talk about, um, let's look at these verses 26, pure religion. What is that? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, now bridling the tongue goes directly back to be to, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's holding on to your tongue. Bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Uh, anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. It's worthless. Kind of scary to think about it that way. James talks about being deceived. You know, the, the word deceive that he uses in this passage of Scripture is, a, is like a mathematical term. 
I didn't really look that hard for it just because I teach mathematics, but I did like it when I found it. It's a mathematical term. It means miscalculation. It's a miscalculation. To think that, to, to think that you can be a hearer and not be a doer and, that's, and that it would be okay. It's not true. It's not true at all. So when he talks about this pure religion, he's talking about having no, under, no other agenda but the will of God, serving God, and he is, he is on your heart and mind to serve and honor him and to glorify him and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today for you? Life is, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this and this and this. It's family matters, it's, it's work matters, it's just me matters. You know, things going just, it's hard. And I'm a believer and I know God. Well, you just push it aside and look, and let the glory of God shine on you. And it's like, Lord, I know you're with me. Let's go forward. Let's just go forward. Keep your, keep your sights on him. Pure religion is having no agenda outside of just serving God and honoring him, and glorifying him, and being on mission with him. And then he says something I think is probably the most powerful thing. It speaks the loudest to me at the end of this. He says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Well, that's got to grab everybody's attention. What is it? I want to know. I want to make sure I'm a part of this. I want to make sure that my life and my heart is about these things. It says this, it is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And that's a pretty high, high order. That's a, that's a lot, isn't it, in there? Most people read this and their minds are, they're, they're, they think about the, the orphans. And they think about the widows and, because, and it jumps out at you, doesn't it? I feel like, you know, when the Lord returns, I feel like we, we want to be caught doing something to help orphans, widows in their need. You know, as there is a need. This isn't everything. This, James isn't saying only these two things is all I'm really defining here. No, he says keep yourself unspotted from the world. There's another passage of Scripture that does an equally good job, and it propels what James is saying. It propels it even a little bit further. And I want to read this, and it won't take but just a minute. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand, the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. Now you know this, right? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You see all the missions, opportunities here? You see all this? Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you? Because they're just talking to Jesus. When did we see you having any of these needs? Because Jesus was the one who actually served them. And when did we see this? And, and he said, no, I'm not talking about that. As many as you have, as much as you have done this to all of these people, you're doing it to me. That's how integrated this was with Jesus' heart and being on mission and serving. It's about loving people and taking the opportunity that comes from that to share the gospel of love, grace, and hope with people. That's pretty powerful, especially when you put it in the context of a judgment. You know, the Lord is looking for us to be on mission. You're not going to get very far in heaven and say, you know, I was, every time the preacher spoke, I was listening. 
I read my Bible all the time. I've been through this thing like so many times. I check it off every day. I read my Bible. I've, I read through it twice in one year or once a year or, or every three years I read. It's whatever. You know, I'm on a plan. I'm reading. It's okay. It's good. It's a good start. But it takes the blendedness of being a hearer and a doer. It's so important. Showing God's love to the nations. We get to do it here without going very far because we're we're full of the nations in this place. It's amazing. Sometimes we, we, we get a little disconcerted by the transient nature of people that come here and then go and come and go and come. And I thought to myself, well, actually a extra blessing that happens to be. They come under the teaching of our pastor and they're here, say, one year, two years, three years. And they come under the love and care of a faith family. And they come under the context of being invited to serve and and be on mission. And then they have to go home. What are they going to do? Go home and forget it all? I don't think so. It grows. It grows. They go and they disciple other people. And they teach other people. And they become a part of it. And it grows. So there can be a value in this context of, of this being such a transient place. So, I believe when, please take time to read this again. There's so much more I would like to say, and, and, um, but I think you can get this, and maybe it's already the Spirit speaking to you in this, out of this book of James here, and talking about being he- doers and, uh, hearers and doers um, that is being defined here. Understand you're a missionary. Understand this, um, as James defines it. And my prayer is this, is that we have these new convictions about this. That you don't sit there and think, you know, I've always thought about being on mission, but I'm not, I'm not doing what that person's doing or that person's doing. But, but I realize God has called me to this particular thing, and that's what I want to do, that's what I am doing, what I'm going to do. My prayer is this, is that this church is united in this context. Be on mission somewhere, in some way, serving God. Sharing your faith, it's a necessity. It's an importance. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. You, you would have not wanted someone to be afraid to share with you because you heard the gospel once when you didn't know it. Don't be afraid to share it. Um, so this is what we pray for on our mission team is that we can, we can lead our church together to be on missions, encourage it, strengthen it, sustain it in every way possible through prayer and fasting and and, and every effort. Um, On the mission team, we just have a a, a few suggestions. FAM is a great opportunity. There, There are more men in these labor camps than there are servants to go. That's an opportunity. Talk to somebody on the mission team. Talk to Matthew. Talk to somebody, one of the elders. And get connected. Talk to Kasha for Brent. And we plan on being, communicating more to the church family through a flyer in the bulletin or a PowerPoint or something in the future to let you know of these kinds of opportunities. Um, our, our team is praying for a partnership in India. And, it's, and it just looks like it could open some amazing doors for our church to be a part of that and to serve. Um, various ministries in the church, including but not limited to, there's so much going on with children's ministry, uh, with youth that is about to begin, and, and 
different ministry teams. You can talk to elders and say, you know, I feel like I have this ability or a gift that God's given me. I want to be able to use it for him and share this. Just look into your heart and pray and ask God, how can I serve? How can I be on mission? Because I am a missionary, and I hope that's the way you see your heart and life. You see yourself as you are a child of God, as, as a missionary, as a person to be on mission. That's the way I hope you see it yourself. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, Lord, we look into your word and, and it speaks volumes to us, Father, but it is very simple as well and straightforward. Help us, Father, to hear, to read your word, to take it in. Father, to meditate and think, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? How can I encourage the people around me? Lord, how can I honor and glorify you in my life? That puts us on mission, Father, according to your word through James. Father, we receive that and we thank you for that, for the opportunities we have. I pray, Father, that you would grow in our church family here the spirit of mission-mindedness of a mission heart to be on service, to be serving you. Father, we ask these things, and for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.